no trash, just truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. Today, we're finishing up our series, Women in Scripture, by looking at Rebecca from the book of Genesis. But first, we have an exciting announcement. We do. In the next episode, we're going to be starting a new series entitled, Real Truth About Real Stuff. In it, we're going to take a biblical look at some hard topics like, why is God allowing so much pain in my life? Is it biblical to leave an abusive spouse? We're going to take a look at things like depression, demons, loneliness, yoga, politics, and more. I can't wait. Me either. But let's wrap up Women in Scripture by looking at Rebecca today. In Genesis chapter 11, Abraham, or Abram as he was known then, was chosen by God to be the first patriarch of God's chosen people, which was at first Israel, but then later expanded to include the Gentiles. At 100 years old and 90 years old respectively, Abraham and his wife Sarah miraculously have a son Isaac, who was also chosen by God to be in the lineage of Jesus and to be the next patriarch of God's chosen people. And when Isaac was pushing age 40, Abraham realized that his son needed a wife. He wanted to make sure that Isaac got a proper wife, so he sent his servant back to the land that he had come from, where his brother Nahor and his family still lived, to find that wife. Abraham doesn't let Isaac go with the servant because Isaac was the son of the covenant that God made with Abraham, in which the Lord promised to give his people the land Abraham was currently living in. Abraham didn't want Isaac to leave that land. So the servant went alone, and he brought a bunch of gifts from Abraham with him. When he gets to Abraham's brother's land, he prays to God for a sign that he would find the woman that was meant for Isaac. Rose, asking God for a sign is wrong, so why is it okay here? You know, this is a tough subject. The Bible does show us occasions where God makes his will known to people, especially in the Old Testament. But after Jesus is coming, he's blessed all his people with a sign to know what his will is. It's called the Bible. God can certainly still give anyone a sign anytime he wants. He's God. But generally, the Lord speaks to his people through scripture now. Yeah, that's a really important point, Rose. There's nothing wrong with praying to God to help you make a decision. But first, before we do anything else, we need to make sure that that decision that we're making is a godly one and lines up with scripture. And then we can ask God for guidance and pretty much step out and do whatever it is that we desire. As long as we are loving the Lord, the God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we can confidently step out and make the decision. So in other words, when we're being obedient to what the Bible says, whether or not we have a clear sign from God, we should feel confident about moving ahead with the decision we make. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And as we said, this time, God does answer the servant's prayer and gives him a sign. Before the servant even finishes praying, Rebecca arrives. When Rebecca introduces herself to him, he finds out she's related to Abraham. She's his great niece, the granddaughter of his brother Nahor. And the scene unfolds just as the servant asks God for it too. The servant gives Rebecca a gold nose ring and two gold bracelets. She takes them back to her parents' house to spend the night. Her father is alive and he's at home, but it seems that her brother Laban is the one running things. When Laban sees all the expensive gifts the servant has, he's all about the riches. And even though these people are related to Abraham, they don't share Abraham and Isaac's monotheism, that is belief in one God. They're pagans. Even the meaning of Laban's name is related to a moon god. And you may be wondering, if these people are pagans, just like the people in Canaan, why did Abraham insist that Isaac's wife come from them? The answer is that they're pagans, but they're family. 
So they're not foreigners like the people from Canaan. They were Abraham's people. And since her family was likely polytheistic, meaning they believed in many gods, we can probably concur that at this point, Rebecca also had pagan beliefs. But after the servant tells them why he was there and the story of how he prayed to find Rebecca, they all see that Yahweh's hand is in this. Yahweh is the name that's sometimes used for God in the Old Testament. You always know where the name Yahweh was used in your Bible because it will have LORD in all caps. The Bible gives several examples of pagans and unbelievers who, although they didn't acknowledge Yahweh as the only God, they do see that he is powerful and will concede that his hand is in circumstances. There are many examples. So Bethuel, Rebekah's father, and her brother Laban say, The thing has come from the Lord, Yahweh. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son. The servant gives expensive gifts to everyone in the family and tells him he wants to leave to go back to Canaan immediately. Rebecca's family wants her to stay for 10 days before leaving. It's probably because they knew that once she left, that was it. They would never see her again. But they agree to let Rebecca make the decision when to leave. And Rebecca agrees to leave immediately. She believed Yahweh had chosen her for Isaac, and she was ready to get on with it. Before leaving, Rebecca's family blesses her. They say in Genesis 24:60, Our sister, may you become thousands of 10,000, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate you. Chris, that's a pretty odd blessing. It is. But Ligonier Ministries' take on it is, First, Rebecca's name alludes to her favored status. Baraka is Hebrew for blessing and has clear phonetic affinities to Rebecca. And even clearer is the close similarity between 10,000 in verse 60, Rebaba, and the given name of Isaac's wife. Plainly, the Lord chose Rebecca to bear grandchildren for Abraham long before she met the patriarch's servant. Rose, we know that God's inclusion of Rebecca in his plan to make a people for himself started long before Rebecca was even born, before the foundation of the world, actually, but it's cool to see the evidence here. It is. And the servant takes Rebecca back with him. There's a very sweet passage about the first time Isaac and Rebekah see each other. It's in Genesis 24, 63 to 67. It says, And Isaac went out to mediate in the field towards evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. It sounds like it might have been love at first sight. Maybe. God blesses all three of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with truly loving their wives. But Rose, I think we should pause here. Isaac and Rebekah's story is more than just a good plot for a movie. It's a beautiful picture that points us to Jesus. It does, as does everything with the Old Testament, but this is pretty clear. Chris, why don't you start with the similarities between Isaac and Jesus? Okay. Well, first of all, both Isaac's and Jesus' births were foretold. Both were conceived miraculously, and both were named before they were born. Second, both Isaac and Jesus were offered up as a sacrifice by their fathers. Isaac was as good as dead when Abraham was about to stab him, but God intervened and resurrected him from death. Everyone thought that Jesus was dead until God resurrected him on the third day. Third, Isaac's father wanted a bride for him, and God gave the church to be the bride for Christ. 
And fourth, Isaac's father sends his servant out to get a bride for Isaac. God first sent the prophets and then the disciples to usher in the bride of Jesus, which is the church. Love that. We also see similarities between Rebecca and the church, both brides. First, Rebecca was chosen before she ever knew it. God chose those he would call to be his before the foundation of the world. Second, Rebecca was blessed and given lavish gifts. Once Christians are called into salvation by God, they're given spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit, and then, of course, there's eternal life in heaven. Third, Rebecca's entrusted to the servant until she can be united with Isaac, her bridegroom. The church is entrusted to Christians until Jesus comes back to claim her. And last, Rebecca is loved by her bridegroom. Is there any love greater than Jesus has for the church? You know, whenever I'm reading the Old Testament, I love to stop every now and then and say, how does what I'm reading point to Jesus? And Isaac and Rebecca's story pointing to Jesus is pretty cool. It is. And continuing with their story, an incident happens in chapter 26 of Genesis. God renews the promise he made to Abraham with Isaac. There's a famine in the land and Isaac is thinking about going to Egypt, but the Lord tells him to stay. So he does, and he settles in Gerar. Rebecca was a beautiful woman, and some men in Gerar start asking about her. Isaac was afraid that if he'd said she was his wife, they'd kill him to get to her, so he tells them she's his sister. So his rationale is that if they think Rebecca's his sister, they'll treat him well to try to get to Rebecca. But this is a flat-out lie. Rebecca is his second cousin. God had just renewed his covenant with Isaac, and here Isaac is blatantly sinning against the Lord. And if you know the book of Genesis, you know that his father Abraham did the exact same thing with his wife twice. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They stayed in Gerar for a long time, and from all indications, Rebecca went along with the lie. She's just as guilty. You know, Numbers 32, 23 says your sin will find you out, and that's exactly what happens. Hmm. The Philistine king was looking out his window one day, and he saw Isaac laughing with Rebecca. It must have been an intimate moment the king looked in on, because he calls Isaac and confronts him, saying in Genesis 26, 9, Behold, she is your wife. How then can you say she is my sister? That had to be some pretty intimate laughing. Yeah. <laughs> but Isaac not only sinned by lying, but he put Rebecca in a potentially dangerous situation. Any one of those men from Gerar could have slept with Rebecca. Here we have the Philistine king, who's a pagan, confronting Isaac, God's chosen, about his sin. The king knew Isaac was blessed by Yahweh, so the king says if anyone touches Rebecca, they'll be killed. If someone had slept with Rebecca and she had gotten pregnant, it would have polluted the godly line. But Isaac gave no thought to that. Thankfully, God did, which is why things unfolded the way they did. So despite Isaac's selfishness and thoughtlessness, God was protecting Rebecca's virtue and Jesus' lineage. And it's not that Isaac doesn't love Rebecca. He really does. He just made a knucklehead decision because he was only worried about himself for a while. Rebecca and Isaac are happily married. But like her mother-in-law Sarah was, Rebecca is barren. Almost 20 years later, no baby. Like Abraham and Sarah, they knew that God was creating a people for himself through them. So also like Abraham and Sarah, it must have been frustrating with no baby coming. But unlike Abraham and Sarah, they didn't take matters into their own hands. If you remember, when Sarah wasn't conceiving after God promised she would, she quote-unquote helped God's plan along by making Abraham sleep with her maidservant. The result was a baby who went on to be the father of Islam. Yeah, 
I was really helping out. Yeah. But, you know, Isaac handles things very differently. What does he do? He prays for his wife. And almost 20 years later, she finally conceived. But it was a tough pregnancy. It was so tough, in fact, she asked God, why is this happening to me? And God answers her in Genesis 25, 23. He tells her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. As most of us probably know, those babies in Rebekah's womb were Esau and Jacob. And God is telling Rebekah that he's chosen the younger son, Jacob, over the older one, Esau. Something that was completely contradictory to that time. You know, throughout scripture, there are numerous passages showing that God divinely elects who will be his. This passage in Genesis is one of the clearest ones on that. God went against the norm of the younger serving the older and chose the younger to be the heir. And in Romans 9, verses 11 to 13, Paul says about Esau and Jacob, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. You know, Chris, God wasn't the only one choosing one twin over another. Genesis 25:28 says Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So Isaac favored Esau because they were both hunters and outdoorsmen, but we aren't told why Rebekah favored Jacob. Scripture prior to this tells us Jacob was quiet and more well-rounded. Esau was kind of the big jock in the family, and Jacob was just a regular kid. Yeah, maybe Rebekah favored Jacob because her husband favored Esau, or maybe it was because God had chosen Jacob that she loved him more. But God, the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe, can do whatever he pleases with his creation. He can choose whom he wants for whatever purposes he wants. We, however, are not God. Nothing good ever comes out of parents playing favorites. Everybody loses in that situation, even the kid that's favored. And it was no different with Esau and Jacob. No, Esau grows up arrogant and headstrong. He even sells his birthright for a bowl of stew when he's hungry. He disregards his parents' wishes and marries two foreign women who, according to Genesis 26:35, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Yeah, Esau marrying a Hittite woman would have devastated Rebekah and Isaac. And being dim-witted as he was, Esau tries to make up for it later by marrying a woman who was of his uncle Ishmael's family. Ishmael was the son of the maidservant and Abraham, and he wasn't part of God's chosen people. So instead of making things right with his parents, he just compounds the problem. And Rebecca and Isaac have their fair share of sin too, all stemming from them showing favoritism of one son over the other. Yeah, they sure do. As Isaac's nearing the end of his life, his eyesight's failing. He tells Esau to go and hunt for some game and prepare a meal for him so that Isaac can bestow his blessing on him. Rose, Isaac did have physical blindness, but he also had to have spiritual blindness. God told Rebecca that Jacob would be the chosen one who would be in the godly line and would receive the blessing. If Rebecca had told Isaac that, and we aren't told whether she did or not, but it's likely she did. And if she did, yeah, yeah likely. it's likely she did. And if she did, then Isaac's ignoring what God said because he wants Esau to have it. And as you said, we don't know for sure if Isaac knew, but we do know for sure that Rebecca knew of God's promise. And instead of trusting in what God had told her, that Jacob was the chosen one, she takes matters into her own hands. She hatches an elaborate plan to deceive her husband. 
The details are found in Genesis chapter 27, but here's a summary. Rebecca's going to make Isaac think he's blessing Esau, but it will actually be Jacob. And she knows she needs to get this done before Esau comes back from hunting. So she has Jacob kill two goats that she cooks just the way her husband likes. And then, because Esau was really hairy, and Jacob wasn't, this just kills me, Rose, but she gets she uses the goat skins to cover Jacob's hands and neck. <laughs> How hairy was he? <laughs> it's crazy. It's insane. She even goes so far as to make Jacob wear Esau's clothing so he'll smell like his brother, like the outdoors. Yeah, she does. I'm not sure what that smells like. But... I don't know. Could be good or bad. <laughs> I think of like fresh sheets or manure. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> could be either one. But if anyone thinks that she didn't know what she was doing was wrong since God had already ordained that Jacob was the chosen son, when Jacob worries that Isaac will figure it out and that he'll bring a curse upon himself, she says in Genesis 27:13, "Let your curse be on me, my son." She's fully aware there might be consequences for the sin she's about to commit and make her son commit, but she's willing to pay the price. This is favoritism and a lack of trust in God at its most extreme. And if you know the story, Rebecca and Jacob pull off the ruse. Isaac at first is confused because the voice sounds like Jacob's voice, but he feels his hands and smells him and he's convinced it's Esau. So Isaac bestows the firstborn blessing on Jacob. And when Esau comes back, he's furious. So furious that Rebecca tells Jacob in Genesis 27 verses 43 to 45, Arise, flee to Laban my brother in Haran and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. You know, we really see Rebecca's character here. She's the one who hatched the plan. She's the one who deceived her husband and cheated her son Esau. Yet she's taking no responsibility. Instead, she's pretty much throwing Jacob under the bus and blaming him. Yep, she threw him right under the bus. And Matthew Henry sums up this whole passage beautifully. If Rebecca, when she heard Isaac promise the blessing to Esau, had gone at his return from hunting to Isaac and with humility and seriousness put him in remembrance of that which God had said concerning their sons, if she further had shown him how Esau had forfeited the blessing by selling his birthright and by marrying strange wives, it is probable that Isaac would have been prevailed upon knowingly and wittingly to confer the blessing upon Jacob and needed not thus to have been cheated into it. This would have been honorable and laudable and would have looked well in history. But God left her to herself to take this indirect course that he might have the glory of bringing good out of evil and serving his own purposes by sins and follies of men, and that we might have the satisfaction of knowing that though there is so much wickedness and deceit in this world, God governs according to his will to his own praise. I love that. Oh, I do too. And to get Jacob out of town, instead of telling her husband the complete truth, she tells him a half-truth. Genesis 27, 46 says, she says to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Rebecca was right in wanting to send Jacob away to get a wife from their family and not marry a foreign woman, especially because he was to be in the godly line. But she conveniently left out that she wanted to get Jacob out of town and away from Esau because of the problem that she caused. And Chris, like Matthew Henry said, God does bring good out of Rebecca's sin. 
The good is that it gets Jacob to Haran, where he'll meet and marry his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and from these two women and their two maidservants come the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. God wanted and needed Jacob to go to Haran, so he used Rebekah and Jacob's sin to do it. But that doesn't excuse what they did in any way. God's will to have Jacob get the blessing would have been achieved no matter what, and God would have gotten Jacob to Haran no matter what. They didn't need to commit sin to bring it to fruition. God does use our sin to accomplish his purposes sometimes, but it never excuses or relinquishes our responsibility for our sin. That is a great statement to end on today. And just to wrap up, Rebecca, we don't hear any more about her story until Genesis 49:31, long after her death, where Jacob tells his sons to bury him with his first wife Leah in the same tomb where Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca are buried. We hope you've enjoyed our Women in Scripture series. As we said in the intro, we're really excited to begin our Real Truth About Real Stuff series in our next episode. Thanks for joining us today. Have a blessed day.